0: This is Season 2, Episode 1 of the Billions of Atoms Podcast. Have you ever pondered the threads connecting us to the stars? The Billions of Atoms Podcast explores these questions and more. Where science meets spirituality, personal stories reveal universal truths, and meaning becomes a shared journey. We delve into human connections, one story at a time. It's an auditory journey, reclaiming humanity through the atomic bonds uniting us, exploring meaning, purpose, and personal growth. Join us on a reflective journey through modern landscapes, personal challenges, and the eternal quest for understanding, approaching science, spirituality, personal identity, and curiosity, we invite you on an intimate yet expansive dialogue. In this series, we embrace the boundless quest for understanding, celebrate diverse thought, and revel in the beauty of uncertainty. Each episode aims to connect us, showing that profound truth often lie within our individual experiences. Join us on the Billions of Atoms podcast as we explore human thought, experience, and emotion, unraveling the mysteries of existence, one reflection at a time. Rediscover your place in the universe. Imagine this scene in your mind's eye, a child of 11 years old, me in fact, standing at the base of a small hill at the end of a driveway that curves its way up to the entrance of a typical country hospital in western Queensland. Two large white buildings stand on top of the hill, separated by an awning. That stretches across the driveway. The awning is illuminated by bright white fluorescent lighting. It's the early hours of the morning. The only sounds are the buzz of fluorescent lights, frogs, and crickets. The fluorescent lights are illuminating a 1964 model Ford Falcon painted in a brilliant white. It's parked under the awning on the driveway of the main entrance to the hospital. Against the mist of and the blackness of the early hours the white car shines bright and radiant. The whole scene in fact is sending an orb of light out into the misty, dark sky, as if a halo is enveloping the scene. As I walk slowly up the hill, reflecting on what had occurred in the hours before, I am struck with confusion. Moving up the hill and walking around the car ahead of me towards the passenger side, I see that the car has been painted in two tones. From the passenger's side door to the rear panel, it has been painted in bright red, in a pattern resembling flames licking their way backwards towards the rear, fanning out from a single point, widening in a brilliant red hue. I'm confused because I never knew that my father's car was two-tone. It was only after a minute of contemplation my exhausted mind was able to process what I was seeing. This was not paint, it was blood. It's a vivid memory that still lingers in my mind. From my childhood, it was a time when our small family had escaped to a quaint country town in Queensland. Seeking refuge from the violence and chaos and pain of life with my father, we found solace in this new place. And for about six months, things felt as if close to normal as we had ever experienced in our lives. But beneath the facade of happiness lay an ever-present fear that one day he might find us. And then one day he did we were confronted with the man who has caused us so much pain and suffering. He turned up on our doorstep, he was uninvited and he was unwelcome. And for reasons still not obvious to me, he was allowed entry into our sanctuary. Somehow for a brief period of time, we fell into a temporary illusion of a happy family. As children, we couldn't make sense of this strange situation. One moment, we were running from him. And the next, we were pretending as if everything was okay. But deep down, we knew it was just an act. One day, a family friend mum had recently met suggested that our two families go camping together. They had never met my father before and wanted to get to know him as two couples with children are wont to do. For us kids, it was an opportunity for us to escape the tension and suspense we felt, waiting for the facade to crumble at home. For a brief moment and just to enjoy being carefree kids. We went to a river about 20 kilometres from town. There was a weir with a rope swing and we spent the whole day playing in the water and laughing and having fun with the other kids. It was a brief respite from the turmoil of our lives, from the tension, from the suspense. It was a beautiful memory that I will always cherish. We pitched tents and set up camp that night as the adults sat around a crackling fire sipping on drinks. Us kids were lost in our own world, playing and laughing inside the tent. But it wasn't long until we heard raised voices, arguing. They continued as we pressed ourselves into the earth. I remember laying flat and hiding myself under my sleeping bag in a vain attempt to melt into the dust as a means of escape. The kids from the other family did not have the same sense of dread and they were talking and asking loudly what was happening. Me and my siblings knew better and we just hid away and remained quiet. Hidden under the sleeping bag, I heard the familiar sounds of aggression and violence. The grunts of a physical altercation between two men. The sounds of fists hitting flesh. The hisses and the huffs of physical exhaustion from two men involved in brutality against each other. These are the sounds I was very familiar with, and I tried my best to unhear them by imagining myself melting into the dust beneath me. And then I heard these words that significantly altered my level of awareness. My father yelled, Shoot me! Just fucking shoot me. This was a new reality. In all the years of exposure to violence, the tools I had seen to express fear and violence were very personal and intimate. They were fists, knives, furniture, cutlery, dishware, and even vehicles. But nothing strikes fear in my mind more than a weapon like a gun. Everything else to that point in time in my life that was used to harm or to hurt or to scare was multi-purpose. The plates that were thrown, their main purpose was to eat food from. The knives used to poke through the louvers of our room and pry them open when my father was locked out of the house, stabbing their way through as we watched in horror were a utilitarian tool used for carving our Sunday roasts. The fists used to beat my mother or my brother were also capable of mowing the lawns, of assembling my bicycle, or earning a living in an occupation to provide food and shelter. But a gun, a gun has one intended purpose, to kill. Its single purpose is to project death. And hearing these words just fucking shoot me, I knew was an escalation unlike anything I had ever experienced. It tore me out of my desire to melt away and immediately snapped me back to my elbows to sneak a look through the partially open fly on the tent window to verify what my ears had heard. Peering through the mesh of our tent, We saw my father standing there with his arms raised high. He was yelling in a fit of rage. We were frozen, watching from a distance as the two families erupted into chaos. It was a stark, inevitable reminder that even in moments of happiness, our past could come crashing back to haunt us in a fraction of a second. But it was also a moment of clarity. We were not truly safe, and we had to be prepared for whatever came our way. As my father stood his ground and yelled for the man to shoot him, I couldn't believe what was happening. I recall being afraid, being incredibly afraid. Even now it seems strange to say these words, but I recall thinking at the time how fearful I was, not that my father would be shot, but my fear was born out of the thought that, what if he missed? My fear was for the consequences if the man missed and the rage that would be inflicted on us all as a result. In the moments of this confrontation, I found myself as a child of 11 years old, hoping that my father would be shot because if he wasn't and he managed to get the rifle, I believed it was likely we all would be killed. And then it happened. The gun went off. Piercing through the air with a loud bang in the blackness of the bush, the shot rang out, echoing like a thunderclap. It all happened so quickly, and it felt like time stood still. One moment we were carefree kids playing in a tent, and the next, our peaceful camping trip, had turned into a chaotic nightmare. The sound of yelling, screaming, of women and children in hysterics, and the gunshot echoing down the valley filled the air shattering our illusion of safety it was a moment in time that i will never forget that changed everything our family friend who had innocently invited us camping had unintentionally invited a devil to his table This innocent and normal experience had turned into a matter of life and death, of kill or be killed, and as a protector. I'm still not sure exactly how the altercation started. I believe the man may have stood in to defend my mother, who was being beaten, or he was being threatened himself and attacked by my father. The scene then become one of urgency. My mother put my father in the car on the passenger side. He had been shot in the arm. And it was a through and through wound, dripping blood down the side of the car. As we drove, it was atomizing into a thousand fine droplets and spraying out in a fan-shaped splatter, painting the back half of the car in a beautiful hue of metallic red. All the while, during the speeding journey to hospital, my father was busy shaping the narrative to suit his warped view of what had occurred. I became hypersensitive to manipulation as a result of my father's ability to alter the narrative in an excuse of his behaviours. And I wasn't buying any any of it. We arrived at the hospital and he was rushed into emergency. I was left standing outside in what felt like a dream. It was peaceful. There were crickets and frogs chirping. The misty glow of the hospital in the morning darkness felt surreal. As I stood there, looking at the scene, an illuminated vehicle painted red with blood, contrasting the brilliant white of the paintwork. I had a sense that things would never be the same from this moment forward. The memory still haunts me today, this fear confusion and trauma that we experienced during those few moments felt like an eternity. But amidst the chaos and violence, there are also moments of courage and love. My father was unflinching, standing up to the man who threatened him with death, a reminder of his power and what I thought was a demonic invincibility. His endless ramblings during the drive about being a Vietnam veteran really started to seem to me to be a means of asking forgiveness, of making excuses. My mother's quick thinking and calm demeanour kept us all safe, and the support and unity of our two families gave us hope and strength in the face of danger. After all the years of violence this man had inflicted on my mother and brother, I saw he was not invincible. He was human after all. He bled. The police arrived and interviewed my mother. They took the man who shot my father into custody. After a very short period, he was released without charge. My father was very well known throughout Western Queensland by the police for being the aggressor. And the man who shot him was deemed to have acted in self-defence and was defending himself his family, and my mother. After the events of this night, our little family of mum and my siblings had some respite for the next five years of our lives. We lived out our lives making the best of what we had, and while very difficult, we managed to build characters of love, compassion, and caring. There were other significant challenges, but this was the night where we were freed from our tormentor for a period of time. And we began our journey to process these experiences, learning to become who we are today. Looking back, I see this experience as a pivotal moment in my life. It taught me to never take anything for granted, to always be prepared for the unexpected. But it also showed me the power of love, of courage, and of unity in the face of adversity. As we continue this journey, I remember that life is full of unexpected twists and turns, but with courage, love and unity, we can overcome from any challenge that comes our way. This is my story, one filled with hope, growth and connection. It reminds me to be vigilant, but to hold on to moments of joy and connection. They are what keeps us going, even in the darkest of times. So welcome to season two of Billions of Atoms and come with me on this journey as we continue to explore the complexities of life and find solace in our shared experiences. Let's keep moving forward together, always seeking the light amidst the darkness and always seek kindness and compassion towards each other, regardless of colour, colour, religion, or sexuality. I am part of you, and you are part of me. And we are part of everyone, and everything. I want to dedicate this episode to my dear friend Dania. I met Dania over 10 years ago in Sydney. We fell madly in love. We had a whirlwind romance. Unlike anything I've ever experienced, it was passionate, romantic, we wrote poetry for each other, there was lots of affection, and we developed an intense loving bond that has remained to this day. I consider Dania to be an amazing and a unique human being, and probably one of the most human of any human beings I've ever met. recently had the joy of spending a week with her in Phuket where she is doing amazing things in helping people heal and break cycles of addiction.